please yeah, take a seat. It is great to be able to be with you, and we are going to look at that passage, that short passage uh, from Luke's Gospel, Mary and Martha, uh, in just uh, a moment together. But as we begin, I want us to think for a couple of minutes about priorities. Priorities, and I've got a question there on the screen which you might be able to make out if you've got good eyesight. Uh, What do I do with my finite time? Priorities are important in life because we only have so much time. Uh, I know our teenagers are in with us. Some of you will be having to make some decisions about what you're going to study at GCSE or at A-level or at university. And maybe there's lots of different things you'd like to study, but you can't do them all. You don't have the time. Well, what's true with studies is true with our friendships. We'd love to be friends with everybody, maybe, but you only have so much time to work on friendships and to spend time with people. You only have so many hobbies that you can take up. You only have so many uh, things you can be working on or investing in with your time. What do I do with my finite time? And that is why priorities matter. Priorities are vital. It is vital for us all to say, well, what is most important? What am I going to focus on first? What is going to come top of my list? I I came across a few quotations uh, online this week. Uh, Here's one from a guy called David Giacchelio. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The most important thing in life is knowing the most important things in life. It's quite a clever quote, isn't it? Uh, You know, you've got to find out what's most important So you know where to put your time and your effort and your energy. Another uh, quotation here from a guy called Stephen Covey, who wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. Maybe you've felt that pull in your own life, uh, that things come across in your way all the time that seem to need something done right now. And because you're so busy doing all those things, there are things that you know you really should be doing that you never get round to. That's maybe just me, but I think that is true for lots of us in this busy world. Uh, There's a management consultant firm called McKinsey and Company, uh, and they did a survey, I think in America, of top executives. So these are the people who've reached the top of their career and their profession. Maybe the sorts of people we would turn to and look at and say, well, they've got it sorted, haven't they? Well, I was shocked by some of these things. Only 9% of these top executives were happy with the way they spent their time. Isn't that amazing? People who seem to have invested their time in such a way to get to the top of their career, and yet most of them think, I don't use my time anything like right. Only half of them said that they spent their time on the things their company said were important. And this one was from a different survey, but this really, this really spoke to me. Um, from across the workforce, apparently 28% of a working week is spent reading and responding to emails. Anybody else? Yep, I know that one. Um, Priorities matter. And actually how we're going to use our time is really important. It's important at work, at school, uh, in our personal lives, with our friends, families, uh, whatever. But it's also important as a disciple. As somebody who follows Jesus, we have to decide what is our top priority as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. What do I do with my time as a Christian disciple? 
Now, Luke chapters 9 to 11 are all about discipleship. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and he's going to die. And a crowd follows him on his way there. And those followers are the disciples. And Jesus spends some time as they walk with him to show them what following him means, what it looks like, what discipleship involves. He sends them out on mission to tell people about the good news of the kingdom of God. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan about how we're to love and serve our neighbor who comes across our path. He teaches them about prayer. He teaches them about all sorts in those chapters. And yet I think it's striking that right in the middle, right in the heart of that section, we have this story of Mary and Martha, and you get to verse 42 in this section on discipleship, Jesus says, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. On this section on discipleship, Jesus is pointing out to us in our passage today what is the one essential thing for a Christian disciple. What is the top priority? So I take it it's quite an important thing for us all to be listening to. It's important if we are Christian disciples to make sure we've got a handle on that for ourselves. Uh, Maybe it'll be a good moment for us to take stock uh, after this service and think, how am I doing with that? It's also important if you wouldn't yet call yourself a, a Christian disciple, because what would it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus says, this is the one thing you should put first if you become my follower. So whoever we are this morning, this passage has a really important lesson for us about priorities and our top priority as a disciple. It might be a familiar passage to some of us, and and sometimes when a passage is familiar, it means we can miss some of the surprises and challenges. So if I can just say to us all, let's just take 10 seconds now, quietly, to, to try and just get our hearts in the right place to say, Lord, I might not know everything about this passage. Will you teach me? Let's just take 10 seconds to do that now. Well, we're going to look at this passage by looking at the two sisters, Mary and Martha. And our first heading, therefore, is looking at Martha, and I've called it the danger of distraction. The danger of distraction. Now, um, For many churches, they might look at someone like Martha and think, well, she is the model. She is exactly who we want to come and join us in our church. Well, look at Martha. She's got loads going for her. As Jesus and his disciples, verse 38, were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She is open. She sees and recognizes Jesus. She wants to welcome him, to honor him, to respect him. She values him. Uh, She's got the right kind of idea that Jesus is important. Uh, This is brilliant. She's very willing. She offers him all the kinds of hospitality that we saw last week in Luke chapter 7. Jesus thinks are good. She's a doer. She works hard. Oh, how many churches up and down the country would say, give us a few Marthas. That'd be fantastic. There's loads we want to do. 
And yet, that's not how Jesus sees it. Martha is busily making all these preparations. And verse 40 says she was distracted. That word means drawn away. And Jesus is very gentle with her, but he does rebuke her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But you've got the wrong idea. You've got the wrong things big in your vision. You're focusing on the wrong things. Now, what I find so striking about this is what it is she's distracted by. I find it easy to read this and go, well, you know, I shouldn't spend so much time on social media. I shouldn't spend so much time frittering away doing this or that. What is Martha doing? I mean, she is literally serving Jesus. She's serving him a meal. What she is distracted by is not just distraction in general. She's distracted by her service to Jesus. Isn't that striking? I think there's a lesson there for us that it is possible to be so involved even in good Christian things, good works at church, you can get so involved in doing good things at church that are good things to do, but even those good things, if you're not careful, can have the effect of pulling you away from Jesus. Distraction is tricky. It's not just those frivolous things that can draw us away from Jesus. It's good things. Even service can draw us away from Jesus. Even things that you might look and say need doing. That idea that Sarah talked to us about, about having guests and getting ready for them. Is it just me who you you invite people over because you want to spend a lovely time with them? And actually, they come round for dinner, but before the meal, you're in the kitchen doing things, cooking, and so you don't talk to them before the meal. And then you sit down and you you have the meal and you get about 15, 20 minutes or whatever it is that you eat for. And then, oh, well, the plates need to go away and we better do some washing. And you can get to the end of having them round and think, How much time did I actually sit down and spend with them? And how much time was I actually just busily doing other things? Christian service can be like that. You can spend all your time doing other things that you never actually enjoy Jesus and having a relationship with him. And I think that is the lesson from Martha. Even good things, even good Christian service can be a distraction. And it can be anything. So uh, some of my Christian service in this church is involved in preparing sermons and and Bible studies. Can Can I just say, more than once this year, I've arrived on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching and realized that actually I've got down and I've worked on the text and I've prepared a sermon. But in all of that... I didn't actually spend any time to just pause and say, Jesus, will, will you teach me from this passage? Will you open my heart and mind to what you want to say to me? And, and when I've realized that on a Sunday morning, I've had to pray and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for my preparation, that it's been so lacking. Please, in your kindness, will you still speak through what I've prepared? Even preparing a sermon... Or a Bible study 
can be done in such a way that you don't really include Jesus in it at all. And if you can do it with that, you can do it with any element of Christian service. The danger of distraction. Our second point then, looking at Mary, is the need to feed. So Martha is distracted by all the preparations. Uh, We'll come back to her little outburst uh, uh, toward the end. Jesus rebukes her gently. You're worried and upset about many things. Few things are needed, indeed only one. And then at the end of our passage, it says, Mary has chosen what is better. Literally, Mary has chosen the good portion. The good portion. Physical food is is vital and important. If you've ever looked after a a small child, uh, you will know that if they don't eat, as the day goes on, they get increasingly cranky and irritable and tired and more and more difficult. We don't even need to think about children, do we? It's true for me. Uh, forget Forget about anyone else. If we don't eat, there are consequences. If we don't eat well, there are consequences physically. And Jesus is saying, spiritually, the same is true. You need to be fed. And, and Mary is fed by, verse 39, listening to what the Lord said. It is Jesus' word which feeds us and grows us. A disciple, the word means a learner. And Mary is the perfect model of a disciple here. She sits at the Lord's feet wanting to learn. Jesus, open my eyes to who God is, who you are, what kind of place this world is, what's needed. Open my eyes, help me understand myself and the world and what's important, what's, what's vital. We need him to do that because on our own, we would go wrong. Jesus says elsewhere, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this posture of a disciple sitting at Jesus' feet and listening is a great model, reminder, and example of how the gospel works. The gospel doesn't work. The kingdom of God doesn't grow because of our effectiveness and power and energy and the fact that we're all wonderful, impressive people. It it works because God is pouring out his grace. And God longs to include us in what he's doing. But never make the mistake of thinking that because he loves us and wants to include us, that means that he needs our abilities. Without us, he'd be scuppered. No. God doesn't need our energy, but he wants our hearts. He doesn't need our energy, but he wants our hearts. And a great way to illustrate that as a disciple is to make sure you take that time out and sit and listen to him. A reminder that you don't know how it's all going to work and what's going to happen. You need Jesus to help you with that. A a reminder that um, the kingdom of God isn't going to grow by your own powerful efforts, but it grows by God's grace. As disciples, I said this is a section all about discipleship. And what's really interesting is you get the parable of the Good Samaritan, then this story, then teaching on prayer. And in all three of those little passages that come one after the other, uh, there's, there's a sequence there that Jesus is teaching us that disciples look to their neighbor, look to Jesus, and look to God. 
But tellingly, they never look to themselves. <laughs> because being a disciple, the power and the energy to be a disciple, and the purpose and point of being a disciple is, is never one of self-centeredness. The power doesn't come from you, and the purpose and the point of it isn't to glorify yourself. Uh, disciples are those who look outside themselves and find their life outside themselves. And one of the ways they look is toward Jesus to find what they need to keep going. So we've got the danger of distraction. We've got the need to feed. So what do we do? Where are we going to go from here? How do we take this word and, and make it live in our lives? Uh, how do we make it part of our Christian discipleship? Well, I think there's a few things we can do. The, the first thing is, do you ever take time out to reflect on your discipleship? Some people may, may spend a whole day, go somewhere nice and quiet, that's good for them. Maybe you don't have that kind of time. Maybe it's an hour or half an hour uh, on a, one of your less busy days that you can just take to go somewhere quiet and think, how am I doing? Well, if you ever do that, and it is a good practice, whatever, whatever sort of bit of time you can manage to do that, to build in some reflection, is this a question that you ask? What do I actually prioritize in my Christian life? Am I spending enough time simply sitting and listening to Jesus? Or have I busied myself with lots of Christian service that's actually meant I've not got time to do that sitting and listening to Jesus anymore? Am I being fed? Or am I being pulled away? Now, you might say, Tim, how could I tell? How could I tell if my service is actually becoming a distraction? And I think the way you tell is you look at Martha's outburst. We can learn an awful lot from Martha's outburst. Look what comes out of her. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, Martha, you're worried and you're upset. Do you spot in yourself an over-eagerness to compare what you're doing to what everyone else is doing? Look at all the stuff I do at church and they don't lift a finger. Look at all the things I do and they're not really pulling their weight. Do you find yourself grumbling about that? Do you get irritated? Are you, as Jesus says, worried and upset when you reflect on church life and how much you have to do and all the burdens you have to bear and how no one else seems to really be pulling their weight? Do you see that Martha has herself very big in the center of her world? So everything is about how Mary's not helping her. Jesus doesn't care about her. Whereas the disciple is the one who's looking to neighbor, Jesus, and God. When the disciple serves, says Jesus, it, it's not for themselves. It's what does my neighbor need? Not how am I going to look?
Do you see any of those symptoms in your own heart? That irritation, that grumbling spirit, that comparison stuff. Well, I'm really doing a lot more than they are. And do you find that you're not really having time to sit and listen to Jesus' word? Paul might not thank me for this, but I'm, I'm going to make a slightly bold uh, suggestion. If you spot both those things in your heart right now, if you spot, or maybe when you leave, you go and reflect on it, pray about it. If you spot that actually, no, I, I'm not really spending time with Jesus for myself. And actually I see in my service, the ministry or whatever I'm involved in, I've started to see this grumbling, moaning, comparison stuff coming out as well. I, I see far too much of Mary, Martha sorry, in myself. Well, think and pray about it, but, but maybe it's worth coming and speaking to somebody, somebody who leads your ministry area, and taking a step back for a little while. People might not thank me for saying that. I understand that we've big church, we've got lots of ministries going on, there's lots we want to do, there's lots of good things we can do. But actually, if we want to listen to Jesus and his word, then when we come to a passage like this, I think it is appropriate for us just to say, hang on, is there too much of Martha in me? And do I need a season where I lay some stuff down? Compare Martha with Mary for a minute. Mary doesn't even speak. She doesn't bite back. She doesn't have to defend herself. She doesn't have to say, well, how dare you, Martha? What about what you did to me last week? She's quiet. She trusts. She's very confident of her relationship with Jesus. She knows Jesus has got her back. She doesn't need to get into that kind of argument. It's actually quite a beautiful picture. She says very little, she says nothing in the passage. And yet in saying nothing, she's a beautiful model of what a disciple should be. Here's the thing. I said earlier, churches often say, we need a few Marthas, get some stuff done. Friends, the church doesn't need any Marthas. The church needs all our Marthas to become more like Mary. They say, but Tim... Come on, we've got things to do. If we're in the business of building the kingdom of God, Paul says we're here to love God, love our neighbor, and offer Christ. If you're offered Christ by a Martha, somebody who is distracted, irritable, always doing comparisons, seems worried and upset all the time, and they say, oh, yeah, you should think about Jesus. What are you going to think? He seems to be doing great work for you. But if you're offered Christ by a Mary, someone who has the quiet, trusting confidence of knowing her Savior, that's compelling, right? You look at a Mary and you go, you've got something I really want. And that's why Jesus says, only one thing's needed. This is not a passage saying, don't serve. <laughs> There's loads of great things. Uh, it comes straight after the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is all about serving your neighbor. There's loads of great ways to serve our neighbors and serve our church family. And, and we want to encourage that. It's a great way to get involved and be part of it. But it is saying don't serve at the expense 
of sitting and listening to Jesus. Don't serve at the expense of your number one priority. Because what the church needs, what the kingdom of God needs, is people like Mary, who will sit and listen. Well, um, I'm going to pray. And then I think uh, the band will be back up and we will sing. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these examples, Mary, Martha. Uh, Martha, an example to avoid. Mary, an example to copy. I know that I see too much of Martha's attitude in my own heart. I'm sure I'm not the only one. When we see those symptoms, the self-reliance, the self-centeredness, the worry, the anger, the irritation, help us to pause and come back to Jesus and, and rely on him and his word. We want to have the quiet, restful trust of Mary. Because that's what you want as the number one priority, the essential for your disciples. And we know that living as a Martha leads to burnout, where living as a Mary is something where we're refreshed by returning to you day by day. And we pray we will do just that. For Jesus' sake. Amen.